You're listening to Extra Textual, the show where we tell stories about movies while the movies tell our stories. Each episode will bring you a special guest who shares a personal story connected to a meaningful film in their life. Then we share some kind of connected story from our own film experiences. And as always, we learn something new about ourselves and others. Thanks for listening in. Welcome to the show. I'm Eli Steenledge. And on this episode, I'm really excited because I'm sitting with two veterans of the Moth Grand Slam. That's right. Two, two alumni of alumni. it. So I have Jeremy Holiday with me, hey. as always. And our guest today is Rosita Gonzalez. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the show. So we are talking about movies today and stories that go along with them. So Rosita, we used to work together. Yeah. What I appreciated, well, a couple things, is that you always brightened my day because like the job could get old sometimes. Yes. But what was great about it was the people. And I think you were always like a bright light in that group and were fun to to talk to and have conversations and always told great stories. Yeah. And I remember I felt honored because, uh, actually, I don't know if it was the first time you've done the moth, but when you did one of the regular monthly mm-hmm. moth, I wasn't there live, but you played me back a video the next day or something or right mm-hmm. afterwards, and uh, it was a quite personal story. Yeah. Um, and so I felt kind of honored to be able to hear that, which oh, is yeah. maybe on topic for what you're going to talk about on this episode. Yeah. But yeah, it was... Uh, I mean, for you and Jeremy, I think you guys are willing to kind of share very personal parts of your life and and talk about things, experiences that I think other people really appreciate hearing. So that's that's a sign of a good storyteller, I think. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I think, too, though, um, just in terms of my life, Mm -hmm. it's I have always had to be forthright with who I am Mm -hmm. because people would always be confused. Mm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and obviously we'll get into that. <laughs> We'll get into why <laughs> people are confused. Yeah, 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 yeah that's exactly. True. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's always been something where I had to be open to mm. questions and things like that. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So on this episode, we're going to focus a little bit on the film Philomena. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is directed by Stephen Frears. And based on a true story, I'm guessing, yes, right? Yes, I didn't really story. look into that, but yeah, yeah, seemed like a true story. So I have to admit that I had not seen this originally, so I had to watch it when you mentioned it. Oh. But it was something that was always on my list. Yeah. I don't know if you have like those years where you hear like, oh, these are the good movies, yeah. and then you don't get around to all seeing all exactly. of them. Exactly. But yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I've liked other Stephen Frears movies, so I was excited. Okay. Um, to see that. And it doesn't get better than Judy Dench, right? Oh, I know. <laughs> Is she not the most amazing? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And she did it so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking watching it this time without getting into the story too much, but she's, she's basically like a grandma, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And even her being, I think it's Irish, uh, in it, which I couldn't relate to as much, but one of the best portrayals of an elderly woman that I've seen portrayed just the reality of 
the good things and the kind of annoying things and like things you love about people, but like you spend a lot of time with them. Right. But uh, I think she did a great job of kind of bringing that to life. And usually they're kind of like caricatures. And I think she, she was really good at making it realistic. Well, I think Philomena is, is also the real Philomena is Mm -hmm. very much like that. Like that. Yeah. 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 Very strong presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. Um, and actually, in the job we did before, I worked with a lot of older women, we should say. <laughs> Maybe in that same, uh, same place. Um, Careful. I know. I know. I'm an old woman. No. No, I no, am. no. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think so. I, yeah. I was listening to you talk, and you were saying, like, back in my younger days in the 90s, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm becoming more of an old woman. <laughs> yeah, my daughter thinks I have Alzheimer's. She was like, why are you always forgetting stuff? Mm. And I'm like, uh, I don't That know. happens to me now. I don't yeah, know yeah. But, so why don't you um, give us a little bit of background. Did you see this movie when it came out originally? Yes, it yeah. did. So it was on your radar of what it was about? It was on my radar. I knew what it was about, and I was very apprehensive about going to see it. Mm. Um, and as a matter of fact, I think when I saw it, I did ask another adoptee to go with me mm. because I didn't want to sit and watch it alone. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 And it was extremely powerful for both of us. We were weeping. <laughs> you know, it was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was a a, a tough scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't really have a personal connection. I'll admit, mm-hmm. um, with the story of the film, but I it, it's still very emotional. I mean, I definitely teared up in different parts of the film. Yeah. It's it's just that kind of story. It is that so. kind of story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you give us a little more background okay. on you? So I'm gonna start out just kind of saying that I lived in this kind of ignorant bliss for like 44 years okay Mm. so I um, was born in South Korea in 1967 and was adopted at the age of one Mm. uh, by a Tennessee woman and a Puerto Rican man which has caused quite a lot of confusion (laughs) everywhere I go because I'm never the person that they're expecting, especially in the age now of emails and texts and things like that where they don't get that context, you know, of seeing me. So I guess when I say this kind of ignorant bliss part, what I'm trying to say is that I just didn't question anything. Right. And I was just living my life, even though there would be times when someone would pull something up and Mm -hmm. that question would come out there. And again, like I was saying to you, I -hmm. would, you know, I've always been that kind of open person. Well, this is why. And, you know, and let me, I'll just tell you the whole thing and then we can get it out of the way and Mm -hmm. then we can just be friends. You know, like, so... I also believe that, like, I was, I, I, I was living in, like, this kind of subliminal denial sort of thing where I felt like if I didn't seek it out, you know, it's going to be fine. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people would ask me things like, don't you ever want to find your real mom? And I would say, she's at home on the sofa. 
mm. watching, you know, as the world turns. I don't know what you're talking about, you know. Mm. So um, I never really did a lot of questioning about my background in terms of that time before I was Gonzales, if mm. you will. And then I had my first pregnancy. And that's where it kind of hit me in the face a little bit because I would try and talk to my mother who had had a baby after me Mm. um, and she couldn't explain things to me, you know, because obviously I'm not her biological child. So we don't have the same experiences. Um, And so, um, again, that was just like, oh my gosh, this is what my own biological mother would be feeling right Mm. now like that's probably you know and so like if if my son's foot or hand would come up on my belly and it was tight and i could feel it i would think oh my god i i did this once Mm. with someone else and i don't know that person Mm. um but again, like I would push it off and it would be like, okay, okay. And of course, as soon as my kids were born, um, it was like I had finally found my people, right? Because um, my son came out screaming and when they laid him on me, I was like, oh my God, he's got a square mouth when he cries. I do that, you know, like I'd never seen that before. Um, only been described to me by other people. Um, And so there was this kind of like, oh my gosh, this is a thing. You know, this, because we had lived, I had lived my life thinking, you know, oh, family is about love, just love. The biology doesn't matter. Um, When in fact, it does matter quite a lot. Uh, So... As time progressed, you know, my kids got a little bit older. They'd ask questions. And again, I was often like just kind of, okay, let's just, let's sign you up for Taekwondo. (laughs) You know, like stuff like that because that was all I could really do, right? Um, And then we had a couple of friends in Virginia because we used to live in Charlottesville, Virginia, Um, and I had a Taiwanese friend and I had a Korean friend and they were both married to white guys like I was. Um, and one of them was actually married to a British man who went to the same, um, university that my husband went to. It was just really weird because we, for a while we didn't really meet and people would tell us about the other person right? It's so weird because you're both married to British guys and you both have sons the same age and, you know, and I would be like, when am I ever going to meet this person? So when we met, it was like an instant bond and she would teach me all the cultural things about Korea, which was super exciting for me because, you know, for so long I'd kind of pushed anybody who was Asian away from me. Because I was like, oh, wait, I'm not that kind of Asian, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was was a a change there. But it's really a superficial change. Because if you're talking about culture and you're talking about food, that's kind of superficial. You know, you can do that. Um, But then we moved to Wisconsin. And if you're not familiar with this... um, 
Korean adoptees came to the Midwest in droves in the 1990s. And so here was where I first met a Korean adult adoptee and I was just blown away. And um, it was odd because she had written me about PTO matters, right? And she's on the east side. And she said, hey, you know, I've heard about you. Can we meet up? So I'd emailed her back and said, yeah, that's great. So we met at a cafe. And as I drove up to the cafe, I was like, oh, crap. I forgot to tell her I was Korean and not, you know, Puerto Rican. Or I was like, she's going to be looking for the wrong person, you know. And so I walk in. And there's only one other person in there who looks like she's looking for somebody else, but she's Korean. And I'm like, are you Amy? And she was like, yeah, you're Zeta? You know, like, it was like, yeah. And then it was like, oh my God. I was like, oh, oh I'm Korean adopted. Oh, I am too. And it was just this, like, revelation, because I'd spent my entire childhood looking at uh, my adoption agency's uh, promotional materials where, you know, there's all these, like, teenage Koreans, but none of us knew each other or met each other or, you know, and so it was this, I, I lived in a bubble, right? Um, so when I did meet her, it kind of opened up this, like, whole realm of adoption and if you don't look for it you don't see it like I was saying before um, and but if you start looking for it there's so much stuff right and it is like this progression that you make you know um, and I my adoptive mother had died when my eldest was born so she had died in 2001, um, but my dad was still living, and um, he was always, you know, trying to get me to eat kimchi, trying to, you know, he was always trying because he had actually been stationed in Korea for a brief period. Um, and so he kind of knew a few things, you know. Um, but anyway, so... I opened up this this thing and started kind of researching it a little bit, right? And I kept thinking, well, I don't really want to, you know, I, I just, I know everything. They've, you know, all the paperwork, it's come to me. My parents were never, you know, never shut it off into a drawer or anything. I have this whole book with all the letters that were written and things like that. Um, and so I just took that to be truth. Um, and then I happened to see another adoptee's letters here in Madison, and we were looking at them. And interestingly enough, our uh, adoptions, like the consular officer or whatever, was the same guy. And it was just really just days apart, right, that we were our papers were signed around the same time, which was also another one of those things. It was like, whoa, you know? Mm -hmm. And the fact that you would find each other here. Um, and so I, I kept thinking this is all, 
this is all there is, you know. But you can still, there's, there was a point where everybody's like, well, you know, you can ask them for the entire file on you. And I was like, really? So I thought about it. I didn't do anything about it, you know, um, because I had always thought, you know, if my mother wanted to find me, she'd find me. And she hasn't tried, and so, you know, and I was left supposedly on a doorstep somewhere of a police station, so there's no way for me to find her, right? So, um, Philomena happened, and then I realized, you know, maybe she does think about me on my birthday, or maybe, you know, she does want to find me, and when... You know, just the idea of so much secrecy and not, you know, and so many walls put up so that we can't find each other. Um, so I did at that point. I asked for my papers. Um, and they, I got a few papers that I hadn't seen before, but most of them, I had them. And then, um, Oh, gosh. Uh, so I went to Korea for the very first time in 2014 uh, with a group of other Korean adoptees so that we had been... Um, so there's a, a group in Seoul called Goal, and they um, actually take 20 people every year, and they bring them to Korea. They give them, like... Um, they bus us around to different cultural sites, they get us um, lessons in Korean music and all of these other things. But then we have a point where you can meet with your agency. And so I was to meet with my agency and my agency is the biggest agency in Korea. It is also the one that started um, Korean adoptions back in the day after the Korean War. Um, and so when we went, we go to this, you know, I thought we were going to this, we had been prepped that we were going to go to the post-adoption building, which is this little squat building, and it's, you know, really old. It's probably the same building that my parents went to. Um, but no, they brought us to the big, you know, it's shiny, had like you know, these reflective windows, it was a big skyscraper thing. Um, and they took us to the top, top of this building. And then um, this big screen f falls out of the ceiling, you know, and they play all the propaganda. And then they stop and they're like, these are the social workers who will tell you and share with you all the things you need to know, right? So we get picked off one by one to go off into little rooms with these um, social workers. I happen to get, though, um, the head of post-adoption services. And rather than being taken into another room, I'm taken to another floor um, where post-adoption services have their offices. And in that period, she gives me rice cakes, which I hate. They're nasty. 
or in my opinion, they're nasty. <laughs> um, so she gives me rice cakes. They also, you know, what what can we do for you? And I was like, well, I just really want my papers. And um, they were like, well, we've given you papers. And I was like, well, but I want to know more about what led up to this. And so she takes out a manila envelope. She takes out one sheet of paper and she goes, this is all we have on you. And I was like, really? That's it? There's nothing else? You don't have any like details of, and she was like, nope, we don't have anything on you. And I was like, but you guys sent me pictures of my foster mom. And they were like, oh, we did? And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I was like, yes, you did. And so I showed her pictures. She goes, oh, I don't know anything about that. And I said, well, my mom got them from the agency. So you guys have to have a record of where they came from, who that person was. And I said, if anything, can't you just give me the name of my foster mom? I'd like to meet her, you know, just to say thank you. Um, and they were like, nope, no record of any foster mom on you. You know, and completely shut me down, right? Um, which was devastating. Um, and, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's the cat, <laughs> cat lady. Um, but, so, it was completely devastated. I was devastated. I came back home. Um, a lot of things happened. Um, and I kept wanting to go back, wanting to go back. And I kept contacting. So, my agency is since been split off into a Korean agency and then a U.S. agency. Um, and so I, I feel like just like with Philomena, there are so many um, things that have been hidden from us, you know. Um, and they'll, they would toss me back and forth. Oh, that must be in the U.S. Oh, that must be in Korea. Oh, you know, and I'm like, look, I'm talking to both of you, so it would really be to your benefit to tell me what is right and what is not, right? Okay, so let's see. I'm just going to go ahead and give you just a small piece of what happened with the moth, because this was one of the stories that I think, this is the one that I won the monthly on. Um, and it was the hardest one I'd ever done because I went back, uh, with my husband and there was a lot of things that went on. And at that point, um, I had to come home on my own and I decided to stay in Korea a bit longer. Um, and I decided to have fun, right? I wasn't going to go searching cause I knew that they were just going to roadblock me. Um, cause I'd already been back, uh, maybe two times before that time. And, um, anyway, a friend of mine, we're, we're, you know, having a good time. I say, I want to go get those funky contact lenses that all the Koreans wear. And she was like, oh yeah. And so we leave this cafe and there's a one right around the corner and the guy who's there. I'm like, um, so I start you know, and I get my contacts and I give him my credit card and he goes, Rosita Gonzalez? Like I'd stolen it or? I was like, oh, oh, you know, and I looked at my friend and she was like, you're going to have to do it. You know, because, and I was like, oh, I'm adopted and my dad was from Puerto Rico and he goes, oh, 
my brother was adopted. And I was like, what? Your brother was adopted? Do you ever talk to him? No, no, he doesn't want to talk to us. And I said, oh, did he write you a letter? No, we wrote him a letter, and then the agency told us he didn't want to talk to us. And I was like, well, what happened? And he was like, well, my mom, because he would be my older brother, my mom said that um, he got lost in the train station from her. And by the time they tracked him down, he'd been sent to Belgium and had been adopted. And we haven't had a chance to find him. And she's getting older, and we'd really love to find you know. And I was like, oh. And I said, wait, who's your agency? And then, it, of course, it was the same agency I'm from. And so I said, um, he goes, what do you know about your story? So I show him the pictures of my foster mother, right? I was like, this is all I've got. So I've got these pictures of when I was growing up um, before I went to my adoptive parents. And these pictures have this woman in them, and she's my foster mother. And he looks at it, and he goes, that's not your foster mom. That's your mother. And I was like, What? He goes, oh, I see a resemblance. That's your mom. And I'd spent my entire life believing this woman was a foster mother. And then he says, look at her. She's wealthy. She's got a ring and a watch on. In those days, you know, you had to be wealthy for that. He said, the other thing is, is I'm seeing pictures on the walls. Nobody had pictures on the walls unless they were wealthy. And then he was like, in your first birthday pictures, you're all in your handbook. She's got to have bought that for you. And he was like, and poor people had to go to a photo studio to have their pictures taken. Yours are like candids in this house. And he was like, that is your mom. And I, it just blew me away because this whole, you know, because you create this idea of what your fairy tale is. And then somebody just comes and just tears it up and says, that was a total lie. So, um, so yeah, Philomena was that point, pivotal point where I said, oh, I need to, you know, because what if she is trying to find me and I can't find her? You know, like, if I'm not going to try and find her, then she's not going to find me because, you know, Philomena's story is extremely tragic in that, you know, her son has died and she's never met him yet he was going to the same place as well and I have other um, not Korean adoptees but uh, I have another um, domestic adoptee who had a very similar thing happen with the Catholic Church and you know her biological father kept trying to find her she kept trying to find him and they kept keeping them apart so um, it happens it happens a lot yeah. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one thing that stuck out is uh, when in Philomena, they go to meet the Catholic nuns, I mm, guess. Yeah. And they make a point, you know, they give them like tea and biscuits, I yes. think. And uh, that sounded mm-hmm. very similar to you're talking about having like rice cakes, like this yeah, formality yeah, to be like, yeah. oh, we're trying to be helpful. And it, nobody else a, got that treatment because really? when I came back, I said, did you guys get rice cakes? And they're mm-hmm. like, no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? You did, did you go up or down a floor? And they were like, no. <laughs> and I was like, huh, 
that's interesting. Yeah. You know? And so I, I do wonder a lot. And they will, the minute I walk in, I'll try and, like, surprise. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm back. Without, like, telling them that I'm coming, mm -hmm. thinking I might get a social worker who doesn't know anything mm -hmm. and who might be able to share something. Actually help you. Um, yeah, so I've tried that a couple of times, and they, the minute this particular social worker who speaks English finds out about it, she is right in front of me. Mm. In front of me. Right. I've told you numerous times. Um, you know, we've got nothing else to share with you. Mm -hmm. um, I even took my children because, you know, we live there yeah. for uh, five months. And I took my children. And instead she told me how, because she's a Korean adoptee, how grateful she was and how grateful their mother should be for the life mm -hmm. that I was given. Um, you know, and my kids were like, why would she say that to us? And I was <laughs> like, just... <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Like, why do you think... Um, you okay, Jeremy? <laughs> no, yeah, I'm done. Fine, I'm fine. Uh, I mean, like, why do you think they erect that wall? Like, what is... They make a lot of money off of us. But how does the wall... What does the wall... How does the wall relate to the money they make? They need prospective parents to see that their children, that they're giving a child a better life. So if we as adults go back, then that must have not been the better life. Oh, if you're, right? if you're because questioning like, things. Right, if of? we're questioning things, mm. then, um, you know, that kind of, and, you know, adoptive parents are extremely sensitive mm. to that. You yeah. know, and their feelings are hurt. Right. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Was my dad's feelings hurt? Maybe a little bit, but um, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but mm -hmm. he um, actually had a child when he was stationed in Korea mm -hmm. that he had to leave behind. Mm -hmm. We didn't find that out until after he died. Oh, wow. And so mm -hmm. I never had the opportunity to ask him to any questions. Um, but he, but I remembered things that he would do that I mm -hmm. thought were odd. Yeah. And it, knowing that makes it less odd, right? Mm -hmm. Like it it kind of cleared up. So he That's was having that going on for himself as mm. well. So, wow. you know, he had a lot of insight to the other side that I didn't know he had, mm -hmm. you know, so. Do you think, um, like for me, but not knowing a lot about the topic, mm -hmm. um, Philomena, I think, gave a different perspective from the parent. Mm. And I feel like usually in stories, movies that you watch, it's like about um, the adoptees, you know? Do the, you? I feel like usually it's about people dealing with being adopted. Yeah, so you're Not thinking parents, of yeah. documentaries more? Yeah, or even characters in films and things like that. It's about them dealing with being adopted, um, not, you know, the parents that gave up the child or for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe that's not your impression. So I would say, um, well, when I was in that 
you know, kind of bliss that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. There were no portrayals of adoptees mm, other than like see it really. Annie, yeah. right? Yeah. No. Mm. <laughs> Not really. Totally realistic. Yeah, totally yeah. realistic. Lots of singing. Yeah, 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 yeah. lots of singing, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So there wasn't a lot that portrayed That's true. Um, the narrative that mm-hmm. you would have as an adoptee. Mm-hmm. And then um, some of the documentaries that later would come out would portray us as being um, ungrateful mm-hmm. and mentally ill and, you know, lots wow. of things that, mm, you know... There's a lot that goes into someone coming to that point in their life. And loss, I think, of, of, of any kind, and especially mm-hmm. loss as a child, is very impactful to the person that you're going to become. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, like a lot of storylines. I don't know. Do you ever watch this, the show Mindhunter? Yeah, the uh, Netflix show. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love it. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. love it. Well, so, you know, um, one of the main characters has mm. an adopted mm-hmm. son. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this second season has been a lot about that son. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it has almost gotten me to the point of going, you know what, I can't watch this anymore. Yeah, yeah. Because they are making the son to be like... Uh, there's this negative, and the mother says, "Well, he's not my son. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it's he's like, not of my body." Mm-hmm. Is it like nature yes. or nurture? They're yes, kind of having exactly, that exactly. Like, and yeah. so, but again, he may not be of your body, mm-hmm. but he's struggling because yeah. this particular boy in this this narrative is, mm-hmm. you know, was adopted at three, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Imagine all the things that you do until you're until three. three. Yeah. And then to all of a sudden be uprooted and put in another family that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Nobody has, like, prepped you for this. Um, yeah. yeah, that can be kind of disturbing. And so um, there are lots of now, these days. And mm-hmm. actually, it really didn't happen until, I would say, after 2014, that we were actually seeing more mm-hmm. of the adoptee narrative um, being pushed up to the front hmm. and like for instance this is us that is a big one too that has has taken that transracial hmm. adoptee narrative and shown what that could look like right yeah. um and i watch that and i see so many things in that character that i'm hmm. like oh yeah yeah i was that yeah I mm-hmm. that, yeah. yeah i did that Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of things that go into those, but there isn't a lot of media coverage about, you know, mm. about that. Yeah, yeah. There's more about the adoptive parent mm. or the birth parent. Mm. And because those are the adults, or historically, right. those were the adults who had a voice. Mm-hmm. Now the kids, that yeah. the children are growing up and we have a voice, nobody wants to hear that <laughs> because oh, well, you didn't have a great life, maybe. Or, oh, my gosh, what do your parents think about you talking about this? Or, you know, because we're still thought of as children. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't really 
talk mm. about it, right? Interesting. Yeah. I also liked about Philomena is that, you know, it's a different perspective than yours, mm-hmm. but she is very complex character mm-hmm. in how she feels, and I feel like they did a good job of, you know, I think in some ways that film was probably a little more polished off than, you know, the reality of it. Mm-hmm. But she definitely goes back and forth through that journey of being, I want to know everything. And then she's like, you shouldn't tell my story. I don't want my story told anymore. This is too personal. And, and there's several times where she, it, it seems like she doesn't know what she wants mm-hmm. to do. And I think that's realistic of, oh, even though yes, she said, like, absolutely. I've thought about him every day of my life and wondered. But when it comes down to it, she's still like, maybe I don't want to know. Um, anymore. So I thought that was r- yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Was there a particular like point in the film that was most powerful to you in I watching it? I think for me the most powerful moment was um, when she realizes her son had been coming back trying mm-hmm. to find her and that he had actually been laid to rest there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I think many adoptees, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I know in my narrative, it, it would mean a lot for me to be, to end where I began, mm-hmm. you know, um, and my kids know this, we've mm-hmm. talked about it. The downside is the Korean government does not allow adoptees to be buried in Korea. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because of um, the patriarchal society and the way in which Korea is set up you know who your grandfather was, who that grandfather was, who that grandfather was. And if I, as an adoptee, don't know, there's nowhere for my body to be laid. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> my son said he'll take take my ashes and just kind of spread them. <laughs> or, or, <Covert. laughs> or like zip lock right, with right, a little like <laughs> corner clipped out walk down the street. I was like, that's good. That's a good I kid. Like that. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that point in the movie where she is there and she can see that he had been waiting for her there that whole time. So all those times, there were times when she went there. They could have told her, her son is buried out there, and they didn't, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and again, I think, too, in that movie that it's done really well in that, again, you see it is the people who can afford to purchase, because that's what it is, mm-hmm. a child can purchase a child, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then she, of course, is coming from virtually no means, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's still like an economy sort of yeah, <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah. That's really Yeah, sad. yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen it in some other films, but she goes to see his partner, and he yeah. shows her, like, the funeral-type film, Memorial. Mm-hmm. And um, to see, like, put next to each other, like, here's a person as a child, young child, and mm-hmm. then here's, like, the end of their life. Like, that's just, like, a powerful thing, too. And then thinking about, like, she 
someone she cared for deeply and she didn't experience all that in between. In between. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially yeah. when you do have kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Too, Absolutely. To yeah. Um, and again, like, you know, for me, the, the experience of being pregnant mm-hmm. and thinking on to someone who was pregnant, I don't mm-hmm. think you could forget that person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't think to anyone that, would yeah. be able to forget. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are a lot of um, mothers now that are coming forward and trying to find out. Mm. Um, because they haven't forgotten. But the problem is, is they may have gotten married. They never told that husband. They may have kids. They haven't told the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot of lives that it impacts. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, uh, this is probably a hard question to ask, um, like, is there something you would feel for yourself that would be, like, some kind of closure? I think the last time I went, which was this past May, I mm-hmm. think, um, I kind of found my peace. Mm-hmm. I did not go to my agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do... And I have, ever since that one where I told it at the Moth, um, that one was, it had wrecked me in such a way um, that I stopped writing altogether. Because I have a blog that I'd started in mm. 2007 and had been writing all of this down. Mm. Really, it started out for the kids. Because yeah. I was like, you know, if they miss just like I had missed, Mm -hmm. they would have a record of what went on. Mm -hmm. And at the time that I started it, I wasn't thinking in terms of my own Mm -hmm. storyline, but more of theirs, Mm -hmm. right? Because it was their history too. Yeah. Um, And so when that happened, I stopped writing. I stopped um, because I had been pretty active on social media. Mm-hmm. I had started a, um, a hashtag in 2014 during National Adoption Month mm-hmm. and had done all of that kind of work, that kind of activism mm-hmm. to try and get our voices out there and having worked with Angela from Closure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when that happened, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's wrecking me. Yeah, yeah. And I have to protect myself. Mm -hmm. And so I went off of Facebook and I went off of all these things. And and it's felt pretty good, Mm. right? Mm. I've kind of like worked it out for myself. Because people used to ask me, even my own daughter asked me, when are you going to let this adoption thing go? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you can't let it go. It is part of the fabric of who you are. Mm-hmm. If you said, that's like taking a piece from my knitting and pulling that string and that just takes <laughs> everything that. apart, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I can't remove it from myself, mm-hmm. but I can, I can acknowledge what I know about it and be present in it right now mm-hmm. um, and not look to the future look to the past about it um 
so I kind of just have to like live in that. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, I like live in that tension sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. every now and then something will trigger. <laughs> I'm They're so trying sorry. to get your attention. It's the cat. <laughs> well, I mean, those those things have been slowly coming off all night. I oh, you've been rushing. <laughs> well, I figured it, it was gonna happen. Okay. But well, has it ever happened before? It has, oh, okay. but usually it happens on on a more slower scale. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sorry. Anyway, cats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, but I do see like Philomena as being that point right where i changed my mind and mm. was like i need to figure this out pursue it more why did you change your mind after watching the movie because i'd live my life thinking if she wanted to find me she'd just find me and that's a case where she wanted to find she had been wanting to find him and she never found him because there was that roadblock which i have the same and I actually had a lawyer, and we mm. went through all of that, and um, they say I have everything. I don't believe them. Mm. You know? Wow. Yeah. Makes me think, like, wonder how many other people, maybe in other countries or whatever setting, um, have that same experience. Yeah. 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 That's totally frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, people ask me, do I want to stop adoption? And that's not really, you know, like when I was doing my activism, it's not about um, stopping adoption, right? Mm. There are plenty of kids in foster care that need families. It's about um, this idea that people want to save children from something that they don't know that that child needs to be saved and especially mm -hmm. when we go we often go into countries where there's been a war or some sort of conflict mm -hmm. and then we start scooping those babies up because we're saving them and we're not saving them mm -hmm. you know what i mean because they have families they have families that then start looking for them and then they're not found. I mean, Haiti is an example. Ethiopia is an example. Um, Uganda is an example. So you can go through all of those things and you can find very similar threads. Um, yeah, so it's not that I, I don't want to stop adoption. Mm -hmm. I just want us to be mindful of what it is we're doing and what kind of impact it has on the children to be raised in a family that doesn't necessarily understand everything that's going on in that kid's mind or what they're experiencing when they're away from their family, mm -hmm. right? Because when we go away from our white families, people don't see that, that we yeah. have white families. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, was that too much? No. And I am so, so sorry about these two naughty things. That's all right. <laughs> um, no, that's good. Well, I mean, I have a question, too. Like, What do you think about the fact that it was a, a movie uh, that sort of was a catalyst in your life as opposed to like a conversation with a person or some event in your life? Well, I like, mean... What is it about... There had been other movies that I had watched about adoptees 
prior to that, but when I watched those, it was like, like I was saying, she's ungrateful. And the parents were like, how can you repay us this way? How, you know, and so I just was like, ugh, I'm not that. I, you know, I don't think I'm that, and I, I'm not going to be that, right? But I guess it really was, I had lived my life thinking it was this fairy tale where I had been dumped off at a police station. And if, like I said, there are so many adoptees with the exact same letter, just a change in the name of the police station. Um, and so it was like this, I, I thought that that was the story. What they had told me was the story. And so when I saw Philomena, it's like, that's not the story. Mm. You created doubt. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that doubt brought you closer to what, brought you closer to the truth than you had been before. Right. And it was scary. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't hear that story by talking to somebody no. before that. Yeah. Mm -mm. No. Yeah. I, um, I was thinking, I haven't seen all of Stephen Freer's films, but it seems like he's interested in the way people realize their identities in some ways. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if either of you have seen Dirty Pretty Things. No, no. you've talked about have it. Have I talked about you've it? You've talked about it before. But it's about immigrants, and it, it, it kind of turns into like a thriller, but it's about sort of immigrants struggling in, in England uh, to make a life for themselves and stuff. Okay. And I, I think one of the things struck me is the one character is from Africa and he's like a taxi driver, mm -hmm. you know, in England, but he's like trained as a doctor because of his background. He can't find right. work can't as a doctor. Yeah, so yeah. it's like these things where you kind of in society might be looked down on because of, you know, he's a, just a taxi driver or something. Right. People don't really pay attention, but he can actually, you know, has all of these skills we skills, don't think right. about mm -hmm. um, his background. So uh, I think bringing awareness for people, things like that is, is really fascinating. Um, and one of my favorite, when you, when you brought up this film, I was looking at his other films and was uh, High Fidelity, which was from my early college years. Um, and is also kind of looking at how we think about our, our, our lives and put things in order. And in this case, uh, it's about, uh, record store owner, and he, at one point, I don't know if you're, you've seen it, right, Jeremy? Many times. Yes, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, it, it kind of goes back through his different relationships after there's a breakup at the beginning of the film, and it causes him to kind of reflect on, like, why his relationships always fail, mm -hmm. so he, like, gets back in contact with all of his old girlfriends oh, and kind of asks him why it didn't work out. Uh -huh. um, but after this first breakup, his uh, co-worker at the record store comes over, and he has, like, his record collection, like, strewn all over in different piles, and he's like, are you, he's like, you're reorganizing? He's like, yeah, and he's like, it's not by genre, and it's, it's <laughs> it doesn't what look like it's going on? chronological <laughs> by when these things came out. And he's like, no, it's autobiographical. Uh, so he's like reorganizing according to like the meaning in his life and uh -huh. the relationships he's had and stuff uh -huh. like that. And uh, it was something that sort of struck me as being really true for me. And I think a lot of people, even if we don't have 
you know, a music collection like that or as much knowledge as he does, but that there are, you know, songs we hear and it brings us back to those moments in our lives when we were with other people that we heard them with or they meant something to us in those different periods. But I think that sort of uh, connected to me a lot. What, what's like a favorite moment for you, Jeremy? Do you remember any from that film? Well, yeah, I mean, spot. it's not like, a, I mean, there's a number. I mean, <laughs> but uh, one of which is like, um, uh, is a scene like her father dies. Mm. Um, and John Cusack is like, you know, he's like, oh, what is love? Like, you know, and he's off on this like, myopic journey trying to figure out his stuff within his life and then this like very different and very real thing happens like smack mm -hmm. dab in the middle of it mm. and it seems pretty clear that like his, his love interest is like a lot more emotion, emotionally mature than he is mm -hmm. and he's like, like you know like what do I do to help and he's just kind of blundering around um and what I liked about it is like the movie is like and what the people do are pretty slick um until around that time, I and mean, she asked him to have sex with him in their car, mm -hmm. just so she can like. She, I think she says Feel like. Feel something. Yep. That's right. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, I mean, like, uh, my father died when I was young, and mm -hmm. and I remember the 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 thing that I like. I always say to people or talk about when I know that they experience a loss is like, mm. you know, if you want some help or something, give me a call, and it's not going to be. <laughs> Now, and it's not going to be at that funeral, it's going to be like some time later when like everyone else has given you the requisite amount mm -hmm. of grief attention and moved on to everything else and you were just sitting in your house, mm -hmm. car, place, kitchen, right. work, mm -hmm. wherever, and you finally understand like what has gone from your life at that right. point. Yeah. And it was like, like a, and it's clumsy and it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's awkward. Right. And that's one of the moments that I really liked in mm -hmm. that film in the, in the way that, because it's, it, you know... Watching it, I was like, oh, this person has lived their life. Like they, or at least they're writing from a place where they understand how these awkward things are going on. Because, you know, it's also like it happened smack dab in the middle of this other story. Um, mm -hmm. And is like a big part of the film. And, and I sort of right. appreciate that. I mean, I've always had this like, one of the things that happens in films is like people usually only die when they're supposed to. Um, and one of the things that I liked about this film is like, there's not a lot of lead up. Um, and all of a sudden sort of a death happens. And it happens in other films. It's not like unique yeah. to this. Um, but uh, in a film that is like so laser focused on what, you know, like the shape or shades of people's emotions about one another, mm -hmm. that there was this sort of big thing right in the middle of it. Yeah, it didn't feel like mm -hmm. that sort of film up to that point. Right. Like there would be somebody that just randomly dies, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it was also, it's part of what elevated the film for me. Like, sure, mm -hmm. like all John Cusack's self-searching and, you know, it's cute and funny, but it's also like, yeah, it's like a 27-year-old dude, like <laughs> having like this journey about what does it mean? And, oh, look, yeah. it looks like you dated super hot actresses your whole life. You know, what a great story that is. <laughs> um, but then there's the, you know, but like, because, and then there's this, death in the middle and he's flailing and and i also like at the end of it you know he's like i finally figured it out she's like i love you and she's like oh, it's a good start you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. like okay it looks like you've done yeah, some yeah, growing you man boy yeah. Yeah. right yeah um but, you know but like and, and she's not like oh great like i love you too i've just been waiting right. like over yeah, here yeah, for you yeah. to come over mm -hmm. um and that i also really like too because it was like uh, you know, I mean, there's this sort of like, you know, romantic narrative genre subverting, 
you know, in John, you know, and it's John Cusack. It's mm. you know, it's like say anything. It's like he's the, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, he yeah, did yeah. it. You know, and he does the grand yeah. gesture, mm-hmm. and she's like, yeah, I'm, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm now no longer gonna say no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's about all you get. Yeah. There is a great little like epilogue when they finally like get back together, yeah. and then it, it does kind of show, and he's kind of like, you know, like now I actually communicate with this person, and I'm not just think it's cool when we do things together that mm-hmm. we like or something yeah. that he tries to to think about her a little bit you know yeah, <laughs> like yeah. those sort of things and yeah. he's like yeah you know it's it's better than it used to be but you yeah. know we're not married happily mm-hmm. ever after or anything. yeah mm-hmm. yeah but I, I like that so in college around the time this film came out uh 2000 so the imdb 2000 yeah. there you go so that was pretty much my freshman year of college oh my god mine um, also is all right yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My son was born in 2000. Yeah, yeah. he's now a sophomore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In college. <laughs> now it's his pressure. Yeah. Now it's his turn. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there was a record store my brother introduced me to in town, Ooh. and it's very similar to the record store Here? in this film, oh. actually. Where there's, there's lots of funny moments. Jack Black is one of the other employees yeah. uh-huh. and is kind of like you know. Loser at the time, but obsessed with music. That's and that's a not a loser. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's sort of like the annoying. He's employer. annoying. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. But I remember, you know, I was sort of a music snob as well. And this mm-hmm. is coming out of high school. Like a lot of my friends in college, we would sit around and like mix records and mm-hmm. stuff. And so my sort of ritual was every couple weeks, go to the record store, see what's new, what kind of uh, singles were out, uh, listen to a lot of electronic music. So mm-hmm. it was more like singles and tracks. And they would let you, you know, listen to them before like preview because mm. a lot of stuff was brand new. And so you could pick out some stuff, get headphones and like listen to it on the turntables. So that was like my normal ritual. And it was a time I think that I could sort of relax and mm-hmm. sort of enjoy things. And I didn't even always buy things because I was also really poor, poor. college yeah. student. Yeah. <laughs> and they were yeah. like somehow in my mind, I could pay like eight to 12 bucks for like a single on vinyl, but I couldn't like go out to eat or <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. somehow it made sense yeah. back then. So, uh, yeah, I could kind of go into that world. And, you know, at that time, like the employees were like super cool because their job was to just like sit mm-hmm. around. From my perspective, I'm sure it was actually really boring to work in a record store. Now. But like they could listen to music all day and talk to people about music. And that's that sounded really fun. And then the one employee we kind of got to know was like a DJ. And so oh, he right. was starting to get booked more around town and in different cities and so like we wanted to be like his friend mm. but I remember there's like a scene in the film I think it is Jack Black where this guy comes in and he's like oh, I'm looking for um to buy I can't remember who the artist was like for my daughter mm-hmm. and he's just like your, your daughter wouldn't want that like why would you think that she would want that musician <laughs> yeah. and then the guy's just like what and he was like well we have it but I'm not gonna sell it to you for your daughter because she's going to hate you. <laughs> and then he's just like pretty much like, yeah, get out of here. Just like, yeah, what no. are you doing? And like John Cusack's the owner. He's just like, ah, what do you do? Like, yeah. we do need to make money here. Uh-huh. Able to do it. Yeah. And that like almost exact thing happened one time when I was in this record oh, store. Really? And like, you know, this, you know, it was more like, you know, young um, college age girl came in and uh, you know asked for like they have used CDs you know too uh-huh. and she was like yeah, do you have Britney Spears or something and he's like 
Yeah, it's probably in the used section, but I don't know why you'd want to buy that anyways. No, really? <laughs> well, you know, I do find that um, record stores or the independent record mm-hmm. stores, often the I, they're very interesting people. Right, right? they work there, yeah. So I have a, a friend in Roswell, Georgia, uh-huh. and he has his own vinyl store mm. um and so i it's called mojo vinyl and i'll uh, s- often look at it uh-huh. you know yeah um to see what he's got because he'll put up album covers and oh, I, that's yeah. the thing i miss the most those yeah that artwork you know stuff like i could yeah, just pictures. look at album covers mm-hmm. yeah forever mm-hmm. um and you know, yeah, record stores were like such an important part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, Tower Records in yeah. Nashville was one of my favorite places to go, and mm-hmm. I went to college close to there, so that was where we would go when we get into Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, um, anyway, it's just and yeah. my favorite one of my favorite movies course when I was growing up <laughs> yeah. was pretty in pink and mm. I loved the woman who owned the record store mm, yeah, yeah she was my favorite <laughs> I wanted her to be my mom yeah you know <laughs> like it was just stuff like that yeah. except when she got into the blazer and then I was like oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice there, there's also a great moment which I think I've had why I sort of liked playing music for people and stuff too mm-hmm. is at one point, they're like, we're about to sell, like, ten yeah. copies of the beta band. Yeah, he's like, I think Jack Black's like, yeah. I will now sell four copies of the beta Yeah, yeah. And so they just, like, <laughs> quietly put it on, and there's, you know, people, people in the store, like, and like, starts playing, <laughs> and they're like, hey, what is this? And they're like, oh, that's a beta band. Yeah, it's super. Like, act really cool about it, and they're like, oh, yeah, can I have a copy of that? Yeah, yeah. Like, they're so in the know that they're yeah, like, yeah. 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 Um, which is a good group, actually. Yeah. That was pretty good. So I think uh, that was a lot of fun. And, and a good memory for me is I, I am old enough to have, like, real tapes, uh-huh. not just, oh, they're nostalgic and cool, like, mm-hmm. people have mixtapes these days. So we would still make, like, mixtapes, some in college. It was also mixed CDs. Um, we put them, but usually use, like, a mix of take songs off CDs and vinyl, put them in a mix. Yeah. And one of the things I had always thought, like, when I really fall in love or, like, have somebody serious, I'm going to make them, like, the best mixtape, mix right? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Like, all Absolutely. the things, like, I, I'm going to share with them. And so towards the end of college, I had a serious girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is the time. I'm going to make her a mixtape. It was around uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> and uh, so we were going to go visit our family separately. So uh-huh. we were going to split. So I'm like, I'm going to make her a mixtape. Before yeah. she goes away, give it to her. She can enjoy it while we're there. I will say, I probably knew she was not really into the same kind of music as me. Mm-hmm. And this was pretty important to me that mm-hmm. we like like some of the same things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I put some house music on there, which I should have known was not what she would be into. Um, <laughs> but it was a variety of things. <laughs> yeah. And so I uh, gave it to her. It was all fun. I was excited. And then uh, it ended up I had like car trouble. Uh-huh. And so I couldn't make it. I was going to go see my dad for Thanksgiving. And so she was like, actually, I, I don't really have a lot going on. Like, I could drive you there and drop you off. Mm-hmm. So unexpected sort of like back together. And then I was oh, like, so like did, you, did you listen to the next thing? And she's like, well, I was starting to listen to it. And she was like, let's listen to it in the car. And so it was like, became this really awkward ride. Like, <laughs> so maybe we can um, listen can to we something else. Yeah. Yeah. We can listen to something. Yeah. Eli, there are like, probably like 10 or 12 stories you have told me about like, <laughs> 
<laughs> you and a car. It's like they are, they're all setups for like tragedy, like <laughs> independent <laughs> movies. Like like yeah, you yeah. and your family like going back to Iowa this summer. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like oh, it's coming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so the, the, that that was a sign that it was not going to work, work out. Yeah. I think that we were not going to connect. So, I yeah. mean, I still like. I mean, they're like a a bullet point list of like four reasons why I married the woman that I married. And like <laughs> a mixtape is like at least number two or three on that right, list, yeah. which I still have. It was this like mix of uh, like uh, Bob Dylan songs. Mm. Um, I mean, it's just, it was a, f- and, you know, and there's another one too. Like I still have them. They're like, t- yeah. like there's like yeah. a little oh, box yeah. that have my very, fresh, very special things. Yeah. And they're like a f- in there. either in there. Yeah. Well, I had a mixtape. For the birth of my son, uh-huh. you know all the different stages yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of labor. Mm. Except I didn't realize I was in labor, uh. and so by the time like, we got, the I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, my back. I need the active, or I need the this, yeah. you know. And they were like, okay. And then she was like, oh, I think it's time to start pushing. I was like, wait, wait, wrong tape. <laughs> this isn't the tape. right song. The blue yeah, tape. Yeah. Get the blue tape. <laughs> the blue, tape. Fast forward to that song. Take Get it out. Take yeah. it out. You know, like, That's so right. there's things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, when my husband and I met, the reason why, like, uh-huh. he hit me in that just brief moment when we first saw each other mm-hmm. is he had to meet his murder button on. Uh. From the Smiths. Nice. And I was a huge Smiths fan. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what connected me with my wife is, uh, well, one, she did say that she was a fan of The Cure, which was one of my all-time mm, favorites. Yeah, and so we uh, connected over that. And then what really impressed me is, this is going to sound really snobbish, but um, we were going on another car drive, and she like put in a CD, and I'm like, what is this? And, and she was like, oh, this is the Postal Service. I was like, oh, I don't really know this. And I was like, this is, like, this is really good. So the snobbish thing is, generally people like put up a playlist, and I'm like, eh, this is like we can listen to it. I don't know. Like so, for people to introduce she me to music, music. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay. God, I really like this. Yeah. And so that was like the impressive thing. I was you showed me some new some music. music. Like wow. this is important. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, and two, I think in relationships too, you want to yeah. be able to grow mm-hmm. with someone. Yeah. And then yeah, that's mm-hmm. an instance of that. Like oh. Yeah. Could learn something. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, learn yeah. something new. Yeah. When we got married, I made a mix CD to yeah. hand out. Uh-huh. It was becoming a thing, so everyone would have a copy. Oh, right, and these yeah. were like important songs to our relationship. Right. Probably more important to me than her. Honestly, yeah. But, like, yeah. Um, there were some things we definitely tried to like be like these are shared stuff. Some Weezer, that yeah. sort of thing. Okay. So I even made the blank CDs look like vinyl. I don't know if either of you ever oh, saw those. Yeah. They yeah. were like the little like. Yeah. Yep, so it looked cool in those. And so we had a few copies around, and we've been married 13 years Mm -hmm. um, this summer. And we would usually, I would keep like a few CDs in the car and stuff, and we don't really listen to them as much anymore because everything's digital, you know? Mm -hmm. But we were on the car ride home from my dad's memorial this summer, Mm -hmm. and we went back to Iowa. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of like just looking for some different stuff to listen to in the car. And we had like a stack and she's like, oh, this was our wedding CD. And it'd probably been a couple of years since we like returned. She was like, remember last time it was skipping all over. It doesn't work. She's like, I wonder if that's our only copy. 
And I was like, oh, I think there's another one down here. And so we have down by the door. And I was like, I just found this recently. It was like another copy. And I was like, I don't know what condition it is in. So we put it in and just like remembering all those songs was really cool. And then I had forgot some of the stuff, exactly what was on it. And Mm -hmm. the last thing is, one of my favorite songs is the Beach Boys, um, God Only Knows. Mm -hmm. God Only Knows. Yeah, there you go. And I had found this, not weird, but different version of, it was like this children's choir that sang a version of it together. And uh, it's like a little bit eerie, but also sort of lovely. And it's really minimal instrumentation and stuff. It's mostly like the voices and that's the final track. And so we're coming back into Madison where we live, mm-hmm. pulling off the highway. I'm like, that song is not very long. And so that come, comes on and I'm like, yeah, I always love this song. And then suddenly coming back from my dad's memorial, the song takes on like a whole new meaning. Oh, yeah. And uh, just thinking about the words in a different, yeah. different, uh, different way. And I just start tearing up in the car and like the kids had just been like crazy and it's like one of those modes where like we just gotta get home. Like the kids are about to freak out, like yeah, they're not yeah, gonna make yeah. it. That was just kind of like a quiet moment. And then uh so like time perfectly, like we pull up to our house and like the song <laughs> I'm just like tearing up. I was like, oh. What's going on? And I was like, yeah. I didn't expect that song to have that that mean. That sort of thing, yeah. I think, especially when you've had a loss like that. Mm-hmm. Um it's always interesting to me that music can play such a huge part yeah, of that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy, you said you had one more thing. I don't. I don't think. I don't think I can top that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will. I will add some manner of little epilogue yeah. in that. Um, I just wanted to talk a tiny bit about a scene from uh, the Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm. Oh. Have yeah. I, have you seen I that? Like that? I really like the book. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've read, right. yeah, the book is great too. I didn't read the book. I was. I, mean, right. I, I saw. I, I read the book after I saw the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So fun fact: um, I grew up uh, near Pittsburgh, and it takes place in Pittsburgh. Um, and there are not a lot of films that drama that dramatize yeah. uh, the Rust Belt or Pittsburgh in general. So mm-hmm. I always appreciate those that do. And there's uh, the thing that I wanted to mention is I, I'm trying to create a sort of a theme through some of the stuff we talked about, and, mm-hmm. and it's like the the reflecting in a in a film of sort of like a, a pretty unique experience that's also very honest mm-hmm. um either as an adoptee you know or as a, mm-hmm. a, a record store lover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but i mean like you know to, to to be able to take that record store experience which is probably specific to a, 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 like some place but also there are probably lots of places like that and sort of accurately portray it on film um there's this this scene um oh, it's difficult i mean it's, so they they <laughs> go to this tunnel and drive through this tunnel which mm-hmm. goes to the city and um for those of us that that uh, many of us that live around Pittsburgh, I speak for all of us, even though I don't know most of them. Um, they're, they're like we describe our city as the only city in the world with an entrance. So mm-hmm. on, on the on the south end of the city, as you're coming into the airport, you drive. You're coming down a hill and you drive through like strip malls, and there's a couple little like residential areas, and then you get to these like elevated roads that go into this tunnel, mm-hmm. um, and there's nothing there. It's like um, mountains and roads. Mm-hmm. And it's dark because, uh, especially if it's late in the day, mm-hmm. uh, the sun is behind the mountains, so you can't see anything. It just gets darker and darker and darker. And then you go into this tunnel, which, depending on the time of day, doesn't actually have lights in it, or the lights aren't on, or they're sort of dim. Um, and then you come out at the bottom of the city, and you're like several hundred feet above the city of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Out in front of you, is just like in the movie, is this straight, illuminated, elevated highway, and then mm-hmm. you see like 
all the beautiful lights of downtown, all the skyline, all mm. the rivers that are going through it. Um, and it's this like uh, transcendent moment mm. um, right. as yeah. the city presents itself to you. And for those of us, like for most of us who lived where I did, like on the east side or the north side of Pittsburgh, even further away, that's not how you would come into the city. You would come into the city from from the from 376 was on the northeast side mm. of the city through the Squirrel Hill Tunnels or some other tunnels, which is just like a meandering thing right. and you get to yeah. it. Um, but you had to go out of your way um, to go down to the south part of the city and come back through the tunnel to have this sort of experience. Uh -huh. And it was like, for those, I mean, because I, I grew up in the country, but the, Pittsburgh was the biggest city over. It was like... Um, and there's some ritual or rite of passage that, like, you, you, you know, you, you had, like, you know, as a, a young adult, as you, like, went to the city to see a show, right, right, or went right. there to buy something, or went right. to the Andy Warhol Museum or something, mm -hmm. you had to go through this, you had to, like, eventually take the step to go down south of the city, past the airport, and then come back, you know, mm -hmm. at 7 p.m. at night in the right. fall to see this introduction as a way of sort of formally like greeting the city and let yeah. the city greet you. Yeah. Um, and it, it was just something that like, he, whoever, I mean, the writer or those involved, like obviously had lived there, obviously had seen it, you know, and, 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 and like, and I don't know, I mean, there's so many stories about New York and LA and all these other famous cities and, and they have sort of all these hallmarks that it's, you I mean, you could like, you could probably find like how to write a crime story in New York <laughs> and they could give you all these details about the city. Mm -hmm. um, but it felt like um, it's what made the story feel uh, sort of deep to me. It was mm. what uh, allowed it to sort of really connect mm. with me because it had this dramatization, but accurate of this experience. experience. Mm. Um, and I think that's like that's often what makes films powerful in your lives is that it's. I mean, I, I talked about in the last episode the way I think uh, art can serve as like a, you know if your emotions travel on like rails like a train, the mm. art can provide you the rails to move. You know, and right, I think like yeah. a, a lot of emotions and growth and, and change is about motions. It's, you know, going from not wondering about something to wondering about it and then following that wonder and then either mm -hmm. being disappointed or being satisfied. But, um, you know, as I grow older, I mean, I think we, uh, it's about motion. You know, like our, our, our mm. emotions are not states of being. They're like invitations and they're things which haven't developed. Um, and I found, I mean, you know, like as I, you know, raised myself as a young teenager, like I had like <laughs> Movies and rock and roll. Um, I was able to figure out the world, but I think um, there are many times in my life when uh, maybe I was emotionally ready for something, but it mm -hmm. wasn't until I saw a film or heard a song mm -hmm. uh, that enabled me to just kind of move along that path. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so I appreciate when directors or writers or artists like pay the pay the attention and the, to make sure that the thing that they're portraying, you know, looks and feels you know, at a deep level that it is real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. I was going to give you the, in honor of High Fidelity, my top five name <laughs> drops, but I don't think we need it. Name drops? Of bands, of music, my oh. favorite, because they drop a lot of names. Oh. What was really cool is at the time, uh, I listened to a lot of Stereo Lab, and they were like a little bit newer and I was like, wow, that's a pretty, like, recent thing to, like, name drop in a movie. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. Mm, I was knee-deep in diapers. Yeah. So there was no, no new music. music. Yeah. <laughs> new music. As a matter yeah. of fact, I'm, it's funny because, like, a few years later, uh -huh. I asked my kids. Um, I did this little video. Noah was probably about six. And yeah. Neo was, like, two and a half, mm -hmm. two or something. 
and I asked them things like, what's your favorite color? Or what's your favorite food? Mm. And then I said, what's your favorite song? And both of them said, Vogue. Ah. <laughs> because I was playing, playing so old CDs in yeah, my car. Yeah. You're like, this is what I have. I was yeah. like, and I was like determined to not be playing just kids music, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so they were like, yeah, Vogue. Yeah. And I was like a two and a half year old going, <laughs> Vogue. Wow. And I was yeah. like, oh, that doesn't look so great. But whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was very committed to not playing kids' music. But I was yeah. like, I'm going to play them good music. And then, like, you know, they hear, like, row, row your boat, and they, like, really connect yeah, with I the know. tune. Yeah, and you're yeah, like, like oh, okay, there is yeah. something about kids' music that's yeah. simple. And Wheels they, they can on get the their bus. Tune. Yeah, I yeah. about yeah. lost it on that one. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Noah That's would funny. had a, a. My dad would always bring toys that mm-hmm. had batteries, and he'd yeah. bring like a whole thing of batteries to go with it, right? So you could hear it. <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. could. It won't yeah, out, yeah. Yeah. And one of them was this bus that did the alphabet. But if you pressed a button, it said it sang the wheels on the bus. But my son kept wanting to to do wheels on the bus, wheels on the bus, wheels on the bus. <laughs> I was like, please. Stop. Yeah, yeah. With the, yeah. Our kids also don't know because everything's digital now. So they'd be, be in the oh, car and they'd yeah. be like, play that song. And sometimes I'm like, I don't have that song. song. I mean, and sometimes I do. But <laughs> yeah. I'm like, or if we don't have a signal or something, I'm like, right. I don't, I don't, they're just used to like asking. Play, I have, you have it available all the time. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, gosh, can you even imagine? Because mm-hmm. back in the day, it was like, rewind. No, sorry. Fast yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. rewind. Forth, no. Yeah. <laughs> Or trying to, for me, trying to record music from the radio, mm-hmm. and I they would that, yeah. talk. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was trying to get, get that, that song. whole song. Yeah. yeah, and you just talked right over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I kind of miss those days a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you had to work a little bit harder to mm-hmm. appreciate mm-hmm. your music, right? It wasn't that you could just ask, mm-hmm. and it was given right. to you. At least in college for me, you know, you, it took like an hour to download a song. Would you off illegally? Internet. Illegally, yeah, yeah. You went, uh, <laughs> off yeah, like Napster. Like, no, and now it's like, no downloading. Yeah, it yeah was this like... was like, well, I'll come back in a couple hours and I'll have this album downloaded. Like one of my favorite like characteristics or elements of the early Napster days is like when people would mislabel songs. Like, oh, I, you know, yeah. it's like, this is like The Line Sleeps Tonight by Billy Joel. It's <laughs> not Billy <laughs> Joel, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and there, there were a number of things yeah. where I'd search for an artist and songs would pop up or uh-huh. like, you know, mm-hmm. like you'd search for a, uh, a different artist and different songs would pop up. Right. It's like, and it is only happened right? for yeah. like a really short window of time in the history of the, you know, downloading songs. But mm-hmm. I just, it... I just find it funny to this day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Something our kids will never understand. No, yeah. they never will. Uh, well, this has been really good, Rosita. Yeah. We yeah. appreciate you being open with your cast. story. <laughs> no, it's okay. We might edit them out. We so might cut out. Okay, okay. No, no. Okay. It's okay. You won't see them. It's okay. radio. Um, yeah, thanks for being on the show. and uh, Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. And thanks for listening out there, and we'll have some more great stories for you next time.